Hello, hello. This is Corey Ball, lead pastor at Redemption Community Church. Welcome for the first time or welcome back to Redemption's podcast. I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram and to like us on Facebook to stay current on all things Redemption. You'll find both of these accounts by searching Redemption STL. But more than anything, we hope that this podcast will help inspire and challenge you to take your next steps in following Jesus. If you have any questions about God, Christianity, or redemption, don't hesitate to reach out. You can DM us on our socials or text us at 314-391-4141. And now, without further ado, here is the content you are looking for. Enjoy. All throughout school, I was in athletics, football, wrestling, and track mostly. Um, when I was in middle school, seventh grade to be exact, I was on the football team and uh, I was a big guy. I was bigger than the other seventh graders. I was bigger than most of all the, the, the other eighth graders. And, um, and, and as strategies go, when it comes to seventh grade football, uh, this, is, this is how you coach. I don't know if you knew this or not, but really you, you find the fastest guy on the team and you find the biggest guy on the team and you give those two guys the ball. Um, now, I don't know if you can uh, figure this out or if you just assumed, but I, I wasn't the fastest guy, but I, I was probably the biggest guy. And so the fastest guy, he, he ran to the outside and the biggest guy, I ran up the middle. And so I was always good for three or four yards. Um, and that's what I did. Well, I was performing so well at the seventh grade level, uh, the eighth grade coach decided to take myself and three or four other players and, um, and have us also play on the eighth grade team. And so in seventh grade, I would play a, a game on a Tuesday. And then um, for the eighth graders, I would play in their game on a Thursday. Now listen, they didn't have someone who was injured and I was replacing them. In fact, someone was being benched so that I could play that game. And uh, and so I was on cloud nine. I thought it was great. Um, turns out it didn't sit so well with the eighth graders. And quickly, I became a target for their torment. And, uh, and so uh, all of a sudden, I didn't really love playing uh, in eighth grade football as a seventh grader, not because I wasn't playing well, not because I wasn't doing good. I was doing well. I was performing well. Uh, but um, it meant that school during the day was kind of hard sometimes uh, when you had to run in circles with the eighth graders who all of a sudden were really upset that, uh, that you were kind of outpacing them, right? Have you ever been mistreated because of your success? Have you ever been so successful that your superiors and even your peers begin to mistreat you uh, because of the success that you are seeing? Because now you are outpacing them and, uh, and, and because of that, uh, they begin to treat you like dirt. It's a fairly common thing. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to someone at Redemption who started in a sales position. And he's very new at this. He, you know, he hasn't been around for a long time in, in this sales world here in that job. And, um, but quickly, his success in his, his, his sales uh, really outpaced that of his peers who had been there a long time. Some of them had, had you know, five, six year long tenures at this place. And, um, and so because of that, uh, he, he quickly became the target of their torment. They, they started to plot his demise and, uh, and just really nasty things were said and done um, because, all because this person 
was very successful in his sales position. And it turns out that when it does come to sales, in some ways, it really is a zero-sum game. There's only so many people out there that are ready to purchase. And uh, when all of a sudden you are the one that is is kind of claiming most of those um, most of those sales, you're closing most of those sales. It doesn't bode very well for you, and it, and, and really the other people are are rather upset with you. And, and so he had to deal with this torment. It happens all the time. I mean, the the paranoia and jealousy and anger around these types of things uh, really it's it's caused kings to execute their sons in fear that their sons were going to take over the throne, right? Um, it's also caused princes to assassinate their fathers uh, so that they could have the throne, right? I mean, this is a very common thing in our world. It's a common thing that we've always dealt with. It's not a new thing, but paranoia, anger, and jealousy um, ha- have really impacted our lives. And, and I'm assuming, I'm guessing that many of you have had success and uh, in turn, you have become the target of someone's torment. Uh, here's, here's the reality uh, or the question that we're going to be kind of dealing with today. It's this. Now, what do you do when your success becomes your SOS? What do you do when your success becomes your SOS? We're going to be looking at a story of a boy named David. Now, we know him uh, today as King David, but at this point in the story, he is not yet a king. He's just a boy, maybe a teenager, um, but he's a shepherd. He's a shepherd boy, a shepherd teenager. We do know this, that at this point in the story, we know that he killed Goliath. So he might be known as the shepherd giant slayer, right? The, the, the shepherd boy who's also a giant slayer. And so David and Goliath. Now, um, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably know the story of David and Goliath because it's really become this, you know, current cultural, like colloquialism type of thing, right? I mean, for the most part, it's in our pop culture. It's in our modern journalism. Um, for example, my senior year, going back to the football thing, by the way, it's fall, right? Like we're in the spirit of football. Come on. Uh, the Buckeyes are playing again. I'm excited about that boy from Ohio. Um, and so that's coming up here soon. I'm so excited. Anyway, um, so my senior year in, in football, uh, we were 8-0 and at this point in the season. We, we had outscored our opponents 391-92, to okay? 391-92. to We were destroying teams. Um, uh, by the way, by my senior year, we had seven, uh, seven straight county championships, eight straight playoff appearances. It was crazy, all these records. And so we were slated to go deep into the playoffs again. We did make it to the playoffs and did well, but deep into the playoffs. And, um, and so we go into this, this, this match, this, this, this game, we're playing this team that is two and six. They have no business beating us, uh, yet, uh, that didn't change the fact that the next morning I woke up to the newspaper with the headlines, uh, David defeats Goliath and, uh, they beat us 19 to 18. It was brutal. Now, listen, I, I can blame it on the fog. I can blame it on the rain. I can blame it on the mud that literally ate one of my shoes. I can blame it on the field conditions. I can blame it on, you know, like the weather conditions, all these things. But uh, no matter what, it just makes me look like Uncle Rico, right? 
Um, if coaches would have put me in, we would have won state. I could throw this ball a quarter mile. I, I actually was playing in the game and he played the whole game, but we, we lost, you know, it's brutal. So, uh, but, but, but David defeats Goliath, right? Like, I mean, everybody got that, that, that statement. So that's what we're looking here. Uh, we're, we're looking at here. It just happened. David just defeated Goliath. And what's the aftermath after that though? Because the thing is about David and Goliath, everybody knows that story, but what happens next? A lot of people don't know what happens next. So we're going to be jumping into that. What happened? next so David kills Goliath um, he's this boy this teenager right and what happens is the king King Saul he's the king over Israel at this time King Saul becomes just really bitter he becomes enraged with paranoia jealousy and anger and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, today before we jump into this, though, um, I, I just want to remind everyone where we're at again. Okay, so uh, the the question, the question that we're dealing with is this: what What do you do when your success becomes your SOS? What do you do when your success becomes your SOS? That's what we're looking at today. All right, so First Samuel, we're going to go to chapter eighteen, starting in verse six. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's Goliath, uh, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, okay? They sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song, get this. Saul has killed thousands and David his ten thousands. What? Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said, They credit David with ten thousands and me only thousands? He's so angry. Uh, Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Saul's jealousy became so great around David that he actually takes his spear one day um, and he hurls it at David, trying to kill him. David's in his quarters, he's playing the harp. And Saul tries to kill him, okay? Now, David doesn't smarten up because it doesn't happen once uh, in this section here, but it happens twice. David returns, and uh, it's not clear if it's on that same night or whatnot, but but Saul, same thing, tries to hurl the spear at him and kill him. Now, this is crazy. Like, Saul is filled with paranoia and jealousy and anger, this rage. And spoiler alert, it doesn't just happen twice, but it actually happens again later in Scripture. Now we'll get there, but 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 twice now, a king has tried to kill this teenage boy because he's jealous of him. The most powerful man in the world, right, at this time, the most powerful king in the world is jealous of a teenager. Serious insecurities. Okay, so then uh, this, this third attempt to kill David happens now. What happens is... Uh, King Saul is like, hey, it's probably not becoming of a king to try to kill teenage boys with their spears all day, right? And so I can't do that. What, what can I do? He decides, okay, I'm going to be really cunning. I'm going to I'm going to appoint David as a general over a thousand men, and I'm going to send him into army. He's a new general. He's certainly going to die. There's no way that he lives this, right? So it's cunning, but it's evil. It's very evil. And so he he pulls this move and he sends David out, and David doesn't die. He endures. Now listen, uh, there are these, <laughs> there are these moments in David's story that parallel to later moments in his story. I think you know what I'm talking about here. Uh, I'm gonna come back to this, but let me give you another one. There's this other moment where um, 
David is basically asked by this priest, Ahimelech, and he's going to come up in the story in a second. He's asked by this priest, he's talking about um, the, 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 the bread, the, like David needs bread for his men. And, uh, and the priest, Ahimelech, he goes, hey, there's this showbread. And the showbread is the bread that is put on the altar as a gift to the Lord. And David's like, my men need bread. They need food. And, and the priest says, okay, you can have the bread for your men if they have not slept with women in the last uh, so many days or whatever. And David says, well, we're on a campaign, a.k.a. we're out to war. And my men would never sleep with women when they're supposed to be out to war. And then later on in scripture, David, he has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. In the beginning of that section of verses, it says, at the time of year when kings were out to war. See, David should have been somewhere that he wasn't. Instead, he decided to stay back um, in a very dishonorable way. And he has an affair with Bathsheba. Well, how's he going to cover up this, this affair? Well, that brings us back to what Saul did to David. Saul took David, made him a general, sent him out to war to die. And if you haven't connected these, these things yet, maybe you don't know the story, but David does the exact same thing to Bathsheba's husband named Uriah. And he sends him to the front lines and Uriah is killed in battle. He's killed in, at war. And, and here's what we see. Like we have to get this, that when it comes to integrity and integrity isn't a, a, a lesson learned, it's a life lived. It's not a lesson learned. We, 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 don't, we don't finalize it. We don't, we don't complete it, right? It's not a level completed. It's not, it's not a lesson that we learn and we just forget and walk away. It's not a lesson learned. It's a life lived. Holiness isn't a job completed. It's a job in progress. And, uh, and the reality is that as we follow God, we can't rest on our legend of our godliness, right? The, the, the legend of yesteryear of our godliness. Because the moment that we let our guards down, we repeat the sins of yesterday. And so uh, Saul sends David off to war, but God is with David, Scripture tells us. And it says this in the very next verse. First uh, Samuel chapter 18, verse 14. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. Sounds familiar. It's what we talked about last week with the story of Joseph. Uh, but the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. See this. Saul recognized that God was with David and Saul became more afraid of him. It's crazy. Like he knew that God was with David and instead of siding with David, he became more afraid of David because he was filled with paranoia, jealousy, and anger. Now listen, if you're the one that is is full of paranoia, jealousy, and anger. Number one, it's not healthy, right? It's not healthy. It's not becoming of you. But number two, and more importantly, you very well may be pinning yourself against the God of the universe if God is with that person or those people. And so the paranoia, jealousy, and anger, it gets the best of Saul. 
Saul decides at one point, hey, listen, I'm going to give my daughter Michal over to, uh, to, to David. And so Saul, he, he goes to, to kind of marry off Michal to David. And uh, we're not going to read all of verse 27 uh, because the bride price that David had to pay for Michal was, uh, it was pretty gruesome and brutal. And we do have some kids that are watching with us here, um, but you can read what that is. Um, but uh, here's the deal. To get the bride price, David had to enter a lot of danger. And so in some ways, this is another attempt of, of Saul trying to kill David. For most people, most of, most of the Old Testament, the bride price was, you know, 300 camels and 200 goats, right? Uh, 400, uh, you know, cattle and, and 100 sheep. Um, but it's not what King Saul sent David to do. And, uh, and so um, here's really another attempt to murder David. All right, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to go to uh, verse 27, but start toward the end there. Um, so Saul gave his daughter Michal to David to be his wife. When Saul realized that the Lord was with David and how much his daughter Michal loved him, Saul became even more afraid of him, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. So why did David become Saul's enemy for life? Because God was with him. Because God was with David, uh, and because someone else loved him, his very own daughter, Michal, who he married him off to, or married her off to. Because of those two things, Saul uh, be- became angry and jealous and paranoid. And it says that, that he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. So what happens next? Well, the next thing is, because Saul is so paranoid and angry and jealous, he urges his own son, Jonathan, and the other servants of, of, of him, Saul, of Saul's you know, servants, he urges all of them to go assassinate David. Jonathan, he, he talks his dad out of it. And these are the next verses um, after Saul said, okay, I'm not going to kill David, right? I'm not going to kill him, all right, fine, I won't kill David, all right? Um, I can't stand Saul. Okay. Uh, you know, Hey, I'm not going to kill him. All right. So let's move on. So first Samuel, uh, chapter 19, we're going to start in verse eight. Here's the next verses. War broke out again after that. And David led his troops against the Philistines. He attacked them with such fury that they all ran away. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again. As David played his harp, Saul hurled his spear at David, but David dodged out of the way and leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night. If David were alive in 2020, he would definitely be the dodgeball champion of the world. If you can dodge a wrench or a spear, you can dodge a ball, right? And, uh, and so anyway, uh, David, incredible, uh, incredible at dodgeball or dodge spear, I guess you would call it. Anyway, really good at dodge spear. This is the third attempt uh, to, to murder David by hurling his spear at him like Saul has lost his mind. He's full of paranoia. He's full of jealousy. He's full of anger. And here's the deal. David, he totally, in an instant, he could have turned public opinion against Saul. See, David was the one with the favor. He was the one that everyone loved. He was the famed general. The women were in the streets with tambourines and dancing and singing that Saul kills a thousand, but David tens of thousands. 
David was the one that killed Goliath. David is the one at this point that as a general, he has picked up so much experience. He was a fierce warrior. There are times where he attacks the enemy with so much fury that they flee. They all freak out and run away. David is fierce. He's the one that everyone loves. So he could have. At any point, David could have turned public opinion against Saul. He could have staged a coup. He could have taken over the kingdom. But he doesn't. He continues to honor Saul. In the meantime, Saul is losing his mind. And, uh, and Saul, he actually tries to assassinate his own son, Jonathan, by the same way that he's tried to kill David several times. He takes his spear and he hurls it at Jonathan when he's in a drunken rage at this party one night. And, um, and by the way, I don't know if it's the wine or if Saul's just a really bad aim, but this is four times that he's missed people that are literally just sitting there, right? Um, again, maybe, you know, uh, maybe Jonathan and David have, have reflexes like a cat, you know, maybe their nickname's Whiskers or something, right? Uh, they call me Whiskers because I'm quick like a cat. I don't know, but I know this, uh, that he didn't, he didn't hit him with a spear. So either they're quick like a cat or he's a bad aim or the wine was a lot, uh, that night. But anyway, um, David, he starts running from Saul and he runs all throughout the countryside. He comes to this one town and he starts talking to this man there, this priest, the priest's name is Ahimelech. Again, this is where he gets the bread for his men and things like that. So he goes to Ahimelech and he consults with him. Now, King Saul finds out that David consulted with Ahimelech. Saul loses his mind. And Saul, because of his paranoia, his anger, his jealousy, he ends up having 85 priests slaughtered. And not just the priests, but their entire families. He has them all killed because David consulted with one of them. His paranoia and jealousy and anger is damaging. And so um, this is what we see uh, happening between Saul and David. And it, it's such a hard thing that David continues to flee. He, he, he runs you know, from, from mountain range to, to, to forest, to countryside, to cave. He's all over. He's running from Saul. Uh, David's parents, they flee as well, and they go and they live in a cave during this time because they're scared to death, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. So now uh, what happens is David is, is kind of on this, he's in this countryside, and 400 of, his, of his, his closest supporters find out that he's over there. And they go one by one, they go find him, and they go, go, go kind of live with him, and they form this army, this little army of 400 men. And so they become his bodyguards, his, his personal security and defenders. And so now it's not just David, it's David and a small army. And, and you need to realize at this point of the story, it's not just a teenage shepherd boy anymore. Like this is a proven general. He's a fierce warrior. And so David is there with his 400 men. I'm going to tell you, for the most part, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story that is going to happen. Uh, we'll put some subtitles down here uh, as I read some things. But for the most part, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. What happens is um, David and his 400 men, they go to the wilderness of, of En Gedi is, is the name. And they're in the, the wilderness. They're kind of hanging out there. Saul hears that David is in En Gedi. And he, he takes uh, 3,000 men, 3,000. 
thousand. And he goes, I'm going to take this small army and we're going to go, we're going to kill David, right? By the way, David has done nothing wrong, nothing wrong to Saul. And, uh, and so, you know, Saul goes, Hey, I'm going to take 3000 men. We're going to go take David out. And so they go after David. And when, uh, when they get to Engedi, um, uh, Saul, all of a sudden he had a heavy lunch. He's got to go relieve himself. Okay. He's got to go take care of business. Scripture literally says Saul had to relieve himself. And so he goes into this cave. Now this is crazy. This is the Lord's providence, but Saul doesn't realize that in that very same cave houses, David and his 400 men. They're towards the back of the cave and they see Saul walk in, right? Like this is the moment, right? This is the moment. And so um, as Saul is squatted or whatever, whatever he's doing, right? Taking care of business. David's men, they start talking to him and they, they say this, they start whispering, Now's your opportunity. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish, right? They're whispering, they're tempting him. Take his life. This is your time to murder King Saul. Well, if, uh, if you were watching a movie, this is where the subtitle, you know, comes up on the screen. Suspenseful music is playing. David, he gets on all fours. He starts crawling, right, toward, toward uh, Saul. He creeps up to him and he cuts off the hem of his robe, just a piece of his robe. Well, then David's conscience starts getting to him and uh, he kind of, crawls backwards back to his men um, and his, his conscience starts getting to him. And, and David says this, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. And so David, he restrains his men from killing Saul. But what happens next? Well, Saul, he walks out. He finishes his business. He's done, right? Um, and so then he, I wonder what they use that way, that, that data or those days to clean themselves. You know, anyway. So uh, Saul, he walks out of the cave and, um, and David allows him to get a safe distance away. And then David emerges from the cave with the 400 men behind him. So now... There's David and 400 men at the mouth of this cave, and there's 3,000 men out there, and in front of them is King Saul. And uh, David, he says this, My Lord, the King. As David bows, he bows before Saul, and he continues, he continues to say this, Why do you listen to the people who say that I am trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off. I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me uh, to kill. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. 
as that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. Well, Saul is beside himself. He starts crying. He's freaking out. He starts crying. Um, and he, he actually realizes that David is going to be king one day. At this moment, he realizes it. And he knows, he, he says, hey, you're going to be king and, and Israel is going to flourish underneath your rule. So Saul, he asks David, hey, one day when you're king, please don't kill my family and please don't destroy my descendants. Like, you know, have mercy on us. David, he takes the oath that day to honor King Saul and his descendants and his family. And Saul takes his 3,000 men and they go back to Israel. And David takes his 400 men and they go back to the stronghold. They go back to the cave and they live there separated for a while. Um, The bottom line is this. When your success turns into your SOS, you honor others and you trust in God's power to save you. We are people who need to honor others and trust in God's power to save us. So many of you have been in this position, this position that, uh, and some of you are currently in this position, um, this position that you're, you're, you're becoming successful at, at what you're doing and uh, it's made others feel threatened by you. All of a sudden you're, you're the target of their torment um, and you've gone from treasure to threat in their eyes. You're in that position now, many of you, many of you have been in that position. And the temptation for us in that moment when we're in that position and Saul is sitting in front of us and he's relieving himself, doing his business, Saul's sitting there, uh, we, we have this temptation to uh, step in there and to, to, to take our fame and our favor that we have in the moment from our success and destroy Saul. Don't do it. Don't do that with everything that you have, with every muscle inside of you, resist the temptation. Don't listen to the whisper. Because here's the deal. The people that whispered to David, they're whispering the same thing to you. Don't do it. David had that temptation. After four times, four times of legitimate uh, attempts of murder that he saw, there were a couple other ones he didn't realize, um, but, but between four and six times, Saul tried to murder him. If anybody had a, had an excuse, you know, or, or not even an excuse, but a reason to murder someone, a reason to, to be angry, to defame, to have a coup. If anybody had that reason, uh, David had the reason he really did, but he chose not to, he chose to honor Saul and to trust in God's rescue. Again, the bottom line, when your when your success turns into your SOS, honor others and trust in God's power to save you. Here at Redemption, uh, we have a culture of honor. We have an honor culture. We honor others. It's who we are. And honor is an act of integrity. And remember, integrity, it isn't a lesson learned. It's a life lived. We have to make a conscious decision every single day to honor others, to love them well. And so um, at, at Redemption, we continue to honor other people. And here's here's the truth. 
uh, where we're at right now, we're not even like a, a, a teenage shepherd boy who's a giant slayer. We're just a shepherd. We're just a, a shepherd boy. We're not a, we're not a household name. Uh, and, and, and we, we haven't had a, a, you know, great opportunities to, to prove ourselves and to love our community and to see other people come to know Jesus yet. We're just a humble shepherd boy. Um, one day, one day, my prayer is that we can be known as a teenage boy who, who, who is, uh, you know, a giant slayer and one day a fierce general warrior and one day a king. Like I, I pray that we, you know, essentially we, we mature along those lines, that we learn great lessons, we get to do great things, and the church gets to grow in great ways. But along with the metaphor of David and Goliath, we're not the general, we're definitely not the king, we're not the general, we're not even the giant slayer. We're just the shepherd, you know, and uh, we're loving the people that are with us, we're fending off the lions and the wolves, but we're just loving the people that are with us. We're just a shepherd boy. We're a humble shepherd boy eating our ham sandwich on the mountainside, hanging out, you know. Actually, he didn't eat a ham sandwich, the Jewish thing. But anyway, um, so, uh, you know, he's eating some kosher food. And, um, and yeah, we're just, we're just hanging out. That's all we are, right? And here's the reality. The reality is, as a humble shepherd boy, we have the opportunity to learn the lesson of honor so that when we're a teenager... And when we, we, we get to slay that giant, um, we continue to honor. And, and, and when uh, we become the general and, and we're ready to start proving ourselves, um, we continue honor. And if we ever become a, a king, a household name, a church that people love to attend, a church that is, is deeply involved in the community and giving and generous and caring and sharing the name of Jesus on every street in Kirkwood and the surrounding areas, if we ever become that, we will honor. But the lessons that we learn today will be lived out tomorrow. And if we don't learn the lesson of honor as a humble shepherd boy, we will never be able to honor as a king. And so we need to learn how to honor other people. We're entering into uh, election time. I mean, we're, we're in election season. The election is approaching. And, and you have the opportunity, redemption person, okay, person who attends redemption, you have the opportunity as your, your fingers will linger over the keyboard and there's 400 men, those supporters, the bodyguards and defenders of David, as they whispered into David's ear, you will have people whispering into your ear the exact same words. The exact same, listen to this, the exact same words that David's men were whispering to David. Now's your opportunity. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. Go get him, tiger. You know, maybe that last part was added. But you're going to have the opportunity in that moment to either honor that person and, and do the right thing, right? Or you will have the opportunity to really just destroy them and dishonor them and in turn bring dishonor upon yourself. Honor them. Honor others. This is who we are. We are honorable people and we honor others. But for those of you that your success has turned into your SOS 
You're living in the cave, the, the, the dark and damp cave. And Saul is right there. He's right there. And you have the opportunity to take him out, right? But you don't. But even still, he's there. He's hunting you. And you feel this, right? You feel this. Um, continue to work hard. Continue to be successful. Do all things as if you were doing them for the Lord. That's what Scripture tells us. But you have to trust God's power to save you. Trust in God's power to save you. Quit relying on yourself. Quit trusting yourself. Trust in God's power to save you. Because when your success turns into your SOS, honor others and trust in God's power to save you. I wonder, I wonder what David's life would have looked like if in the beginning, when, when, when the women were dancing in the street with tambourines and, oh, you slay 10,000, you're incredible. Oh, you're so successful as a general. You're the most successful anywhere. We love you. And they saw, they saw Saul uh, go crazy, right? And, 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 and obviously public opinion was shifting and they, they, would have, they would have flocked to David. They loved David. I wonder, what would David's life have looked like if then... He staged a coup if then he took out Saul. Would he have risen to become the great king that we knew him as and we know him as? Or would his life and his leadership been snuffed out early? I really wonder that. Honor others and trust in God's power to save you. Father, we thank you for the people that are watching this. God, I pray that as they continue to, to have success in their life, God, I pray that when those moments of success become SOS, they, they become those moments of, of uh, the, the pressure is coming down on them and other people, they, they, they become the, the target of other people's torment. God, I pray that they would honor others. They would honor their superiors. They would honor the people that have gone before them. They would honor those around them and they would trust in your power to save them. God, that's what we see with David. And Lord, I thank you so much for giving us that example because in our flesh, in our sin, God, we just want to listen to the whispers. We just want to listen to the people in the cave and, and we want to take that moment to take out Saul. But that is not who we are. That's not who you called us to be. That's not what you called us to do. And as I read today, just in my personal time of, of uh, reading the Sermon on the Mount um, just before this, um, God, you call us to turn the other cheek God, you call us to, to not repay evil for evil, but you call us to repay evil for good. God, you call us to bless those who curse us. You call us to, to, to give to others, knowing that even though when they don't repay us, uh, that's okay. Um, Lord, you call us to a radical love that we struggle so, many, or so much with. It's so hard for us to fulfill that love. But that's what you call us to do. And so, God, I pray that the people who are watching this, Lord, I pray that they would honor fiercely, that they would love uh, without expecting anything in return, that they would bless those who curse them, that they wouldn't return evil with evil, but they would return evil for good. Uh, God, I pray that they would love others, they would honor others, and I pray that they would trust in your power to save them. Because you are the only one who can save us. Uh, Father, we love you, and it's all these things we pray for. In the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.